0: to not done in Mufulu, to the absence of tattooing or cicatrical ornamentation, to their large earrings made out of tails of lizards covered by narrow straps of palm leaves teed yellow, which, though not correctly descriptive of the Mufulu earring, is apparently something like it, to their use of pig's tails as ear ornaments, to their plating of the hair and the decoration of the plaited hair with teeth and shells, to their small charm bags and to the shortness of their bows, also to the construction of their houses with the roof carried down to the ground, with a fireplace about two feet wide extending down the center of the building from one end to the other, and having an inclined floor on each side, and especially to the curious apse-like roof projections in front of these houses Dr. Hedden calls them, pent roofs. Sir William's figure of which island like that of the Chirima villages, identical, or nearly so, with that of a Mifulu house. But Sir William's description of the physique of these Mount Scratchley people and other matters make it clear. I think that they belong to a type different from that of the Mifulu, though they must be next door neighbors of the Fluish-speaking people. Dr. Seligman, in commenting upon this description of these people, expresses the opinion that they are Papuan Melanesians. The natives in the region of Mount Musgrave and Mount Woodford, as described by Mr. Thompson, appear, at all events so far as dress is concerned, to be utterly different from the Mifulu. Dr. Seligman states that Dr. Strong has informed him that the southern boundary of the fluge speaking area is the Kabadi country, and he had previously referred to Corona, immediately behind the Kabadi and Dura districts, as being within the area, and, indeed, the Geographical Society's map shows the Fluge area as at all events extending as far south as Corona. I do not know how far inland the Kabadi and Dura people extend. But I may say that the Mafulu fathers expressed grave doubt as to the extension of the Flux area so far south as is indicated by the map. If the Flux area does in fact reach the Kabadi boundary, and if my notes on the Mafulu people are, as suggested, broadly descriptive of the natives of the whole Flux area, there must be a very sudden and sharp differentiation, as the Kabadi people are apparently an offshoot from Mako, with apparently other Papua-Melanesian blood especially Roro introduced. The contour and appearance of the country in the actual Mufulu district of the Fluges area is strikingly different from that of the immediately adjoining kuni country, the sharp steep ridges and narrow deep cut valleys of the latter, with their thick and broken covering of almost impenetrable forest, changing to higher mountain ranges with lateral ridges among them, and with frequent gentle undulating slopes and wider and more open valleys, while, interspersed with the forests, are small patches and great stretches of grassland sometimes thinly covered or scattered with timber and sometimes quite open and devoid of trees, and this condition continues, I was told, over the greater part of the triangular area above referred to, plates 1 and 2 give, I think, a fair illustration of what I mean, the steep contours and thickly wooded character of the foreground and nearer middle distance shown by plate 1 being typical CUNY scenery and the more open nature of the country displayed by plateau and the comparative freedom from forest of its foreground being typical of the higher uplands of Mafulu it will be noticed that the physical character of the Mafula country is more favorable to continued occupation than is that of the Kuni country and it is a fact that the Mafula people are not so restless and ready to move as are the Kuni folk and even when they do migrate it is generally to a spot comparatively near to their old villages the geological formation of the lower hills on which the actual Mufulu villages are placed and the intervening valleys is partly limestone, and I was told that limestone formation was also found further to the east. Throughout this book I shall use the term, Mafulu, as including, not only the little group of villages near the northwesterly corner of the Flusch linguistic area actually known by that name, but also the other groups of Flusch villages in the northwestern portion of that area, and, as above indicated. It is believed by the fathers of the mission that I should be substantially correct if I included the whole of the northern and northeastern, and probably the southern portions of the known part of that area, and possibly the entire area. Chapter II Physique and Character Physique. The Mafula people are of short stature, though perhaps a trifle taller than the Kuni. They are as a rule fairly strong and muscular in build, the women in particular having very strongly developed thighs, but, speaking generally, their limbs are more slender, and their general development is lighter, than is usually the case among the Rural and Mako people. They appear to be usually mesatocephalic, but to have a very marked tendency to brachycephaly. Their noses seem to me to be generally strong, and of prominent size, varying considerably in width of bridge, but usually having rather widely distending nostrils, and sometimes the width of the nose was equal to its length, or nearly so, referring to the above matters. The following are the results of 20 measurements of Mufulu men. These were obtained from men of upwards of six different communities or groups of villages, so as to avoid the possible misleading character of measurements made in only one village or group of villages, in which some family relationship between the persons measured might militate against the true average character of the figures obtained member stature in centimeters length of head in centimeters breadth of head in centimeters cephalic index cranial index two units deducted from cephalic index Nose length in centimeters nose breadth in centimeters nasal index 1 150 18.5 14.7 79.5 77.5 4.9 4.4 89.8 to 155 18.8 15.1 80.3 78.3 4.8 4.8 100.03 155 19.5 14.8 75.9 4.3 81. 157.14.157.18.5 15.4 83.2 81.2 4.3 100.05 153 18.9 14.6 77.2 75.2 4.8 4.4 91.76, 151 14.3 76.9 74.9 4.9 3.8 15.2 78.8 76.8, 5.4, 4.4, 8, 19.4 14.5 74.7 72.75. 5.64.4, 78.69, 162, 11, 155, 18.0, 14.0, 12, 157, 17.4, 4.0, 14, 158, 19.7, 14.8, 17.9 14.4 80.4 78.4 5.1 84.3 15 153 17.7 14.7 83.1 78.8 16 156 18.5 14.8 80.0 78.05.54.581.8 152 two four point five eighty six point five nineteen one hundred fifty seventeen point eight fifteen point two eighty five point four eighty three point four four point nine three point nine seven 79.6, 20, 147, 18.8, 14.5, 77.1, 75.1, 4.6, 3.8, 82.6. Analyzing these figures, we get the following results, highest number, lowest number, average, stature 163 cm, centimeters, 147 cm, 155.1 cm, 64.2 ins, 57.9 ins, 61.1 ins. Head length 19.7 cm, 17.4 cm, 18.5 cm, head breadth 15.4 cm, 14.0 cm, 14.8 cm, cephalic index 86.8, 74.7, 80.0, cranial index 84.8, 72.7, 78.0, nose length 5.6 cm, 4.3 cm, 5.1 cm, nose breadth 4.8 cm, centimeters, 3.8 cm, 4.3 centimeters nasal index 100.071.484.3 number of cranial indices under 75 for 20 percent number of cranial indices between 75 and 80 10 50 percent number of cranial indices over 86 30 percent there are a few points in connection with these figures to which i would draw attention the very short man number 20 height 147 centimeters has a cranial index of 75.1 on the borderline between dolicocephaly and mesoticephaly. He has also a short nose 4.6 cm and is one of the two with the narrowest noses 3.8 cm. The very tall man number 8 height, 163 cm has a long head 19.4 cm and the lowest dolicocephalic cranial index of 72.7, and is one of two with the longest noses 5.6 cm. The other very tall man number 10 height, 163 cm has one of the two shortest heads 17.4 cm and the highest brachycephalic cranial index of 84.8, and has a long nose 5.5 cm. The man number 2 whose nasal index is 100 has the mesocephalic cranial index of 78.3 almost the average index. The other man number 4 whose nasal index is 100 has a head of exactly the average length 18.5 cm and the greatest breadth 15.4 cm and the brachycephalic cranial index of 81.2. The man number 17 with the lowest nasal index of 71.4 has a very short head 17.7 cm and the brachycephalic cranial index of 82.2. The following tables, however. Illustrate the fact that the measurements of these 20 men do not appear to indicate, as regards them, any marked connection between stature, cranial index, and nasal index. Order in stature beginning with the shortest, 21 19 6 18 Order in progress upwards of cranial indices, 813-3625 LL7116 7, 17 19, 10. Order in progress upwards of nasal indices, 1796 8, 18, 12, 1, 5, 2, 4. I brought home three Mafulu skulls, which Dr. Keith kindly had measured at the Royal College of Surgeons, with the following results. Skull length in centimeters, breadth in centimeters, height in centimeters, cranial index, proportion of height to a length. A 17.6 14.0 12.2 79.5 69.3 B 18.2 14.1 13.2 77.5 72.5 C 17.3 12.7 12.5 73.4 72.3 It will be observed that the lowest of these three cranial indices is a trifle higher than the lowest of those of the head measurements, that the highest of them is much lower than the highest of those of the head measurements and that their average 76.8 is a little below the average of those of the head measurements. Dr. Keith had further measurements made of these skulls from the point of view of prognathism and characters of noses and orbits, with the following results, skull, basi nasal length, basi alveolar length, height of nose, width of nose, height of orbit, width of orbit, millimeters, 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 millimeters. millimeters. A 98-100-48-26-40-35-B-99-96-49-25-40-2-35-C-97-100-247-26-38-35 40 35 c 97 100 247 26 38 35 doctor Keith, referring to these skulls, says that they disclose relatively small brains, the cranial capacity of A being 1.230cc that of B being 1.330cc and that of C being 1.130cc. He compares these figures with the average cranial capacity of the male European, which he puts at 1.500 cc. The eyes of the Mafula people are dark brown and very bright. I never saw among them those oblique eyes, almost recalling the Mongolian, which, according to Dr. Seligman, are found, though rarely only, on the coast, and of which I saw many instances among the Kuni people. Their lips are usually not so thick as are those of the Mako and Rural people and are generally finer and more delicate in shape. In view of their Papuan language I kept a sharp lookout for the curious backward sloping foreheads and projecting brow ridges and Jewish-looking noses which are so often found among the Western Papuans, but, although I saw a few examples of these, they were rare, and I did not observe any noticeable tendency in these directions in the faces of the people generally. A curious characteristic with them is the big toe, which is usually much developed and projects outwards at a larger angle than is the case with the rural and Mako people, and is much used for holding on to roots, and sea, whilst travelling along their rough mountain paths. Their general colour is a dark footy brown, a trifle darker, perhaps, than that of the Cuny people, and contrasting forcibly with the varying shades of chocolate which you find among the rural and Mako people. They are smooth-skinned, their hair is frizzly, and generally dark brown, often quite dark almost even approaching to black, and sometimes perhaps quite black, but it is frequently lighter, and indeed I was often, when observing men's hair lit up by sunshine, impressed by the fact that its brown color was not even what we should in Europe call dark, I often saw marked variations in the depth of hair color on the head of the same individual, I saw no examples of the comparatively straight or curly type of hair which is found in the Pocow district and elsewhere. Plate 3 gives front and side views of the mesocephalic almost brachycephalic skull and plate 4 gives similar views of the dolichocephalic skull See? All the photographs were made as nearly as possible exactly half the sizes of the originals, but the photographer has made the front view of skull about an eighth of an inch too narrow with, of course, a corresponding deficiency in height, so that the tendency to a roundness of the skull is not quite sufficiently shown, and the proportion of its height to its length is reduced in the plate. I am not a craniologist, and so I do not attempt to discuss the more detailed points of interest which arise in connection with these skulls. A good idea of the somewhat varying characters of the general physics and features of the people will be obtained from my plates, but there are a few of these plates which I may mention here. The people shown in plates 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 and May 16th, I think, be regarded as fairly typical. And I would draw attention to the somewhat Melanesian tendency of feature which is disclosed by the faces of the man in plate 6, the young man in the middle in plate 7 and the 4th and 6th men from the left in plate 9, also to the great diversity shown in plate 9. The man shown in plate 10, with his thick and strong muscular development, is of a type which is occasionally seen, but which is, I believe, unusual. The two men figured in plates 11 and 12 are, I think, specially interesting. The one to the right, with his somewhat backward sloping forehead, and slightly arched nose, shows a distinct tendency towards the type of the Western Papuan, to which I have already referred. The other one is in general shape of head and appearance of features not unlike some of the dwarf people found by the recent expedition into Dutch New Guinea say the man to the left in plate four of the page of illustrations in the Illustrated London News for September 2nd, 1911. And indeed there is almost an Australian tendency in his face. It is noticeable that he has a beard and mustache, which is quite unusual among the Mafulu. A somewhat similar type of face may be noticed in one or two of the other plates. Character and temperament. It is difficult to speak with any degree of definiteness on this question. It must be borne in mind that the Mifulu people have been very little in touch with white people. The missionaries, who have only been there since 1905, and on rare occasions a government official or scientific traveler being almost the only white men whom the bulk of them have ever seen, and they have been but slightly affected by the outside influences which for some years past have been constantly brought to bear upon the natives of the adjoining coastline and the people of the Mako Plains, so that comparisons of these people with their more up-to-date neighbors as regards their relative natural characters may well be in some respects misleading. Subject, however. To this caution, I would say that they are lazy and easy-going. No, not so much so as the rural and Mako people. Lively, excitable, cheerful, merry, fairly intelligent. This being judged rather from the young people. Very superstitious, brave, with much power of enduring pain, cruel, not more revengeful perhaps than is usual among uncivilized natives. Friendly one with another, not quarrelsome, but then trustworthy and not overfaithful even in their dealings with one another. Though honest as regards boundaries and property rights and in the sense of not stealing from one another within their own communities this being regarded as a most shameful offense, and a very loose sexual morality, a difference between them and the Mako and Roro natives is that they appear to be not so conservative as the latter, being more ready to abandon old traditions and adopt new ideas, though this characteristic is one which shows itself in the young people rather than in the elders with their formed habits. Chapter III Dress and Ornament Dress the perennial band, made of bark cloth, is the one article of dress which is universally worn by both men and women. These bands are made by both men and women, but are colored by men only. They are commonly unstained and indecorated, but some of them, and especially those worn for visiting and at dances, are more or less decorated. Some that I have noticed are stained in one color covering the whole garment, others in two colors arranged in alternate transverse bands. Sometimes with narrow spaces of unstained cloth between, and again others have bands of one color alternating with bands of unstained cloth. Some are decorated with lines or groups of lines of one color, or alternating lines or groups of lines of two colors, painted transversely across the cloth. Others, while simply stained in one color or stained or decorated in one of the ways above described, have another simple terminal design near the end of the garment. The men's bands are usually small and narrow as compared with those worn by the rural and Mako people, and the women's bands seem to me to be generally even narrower than those of the men, particularly in front. Men's bands, which I had measured, were about six inches wide at one end, narrowing down to about three inches at the other, and the widths of women's bands were four or five inches or less at one end, narrowing down to about two inches at the other. But the bands of both men and women, especially those of the latter, often become so crumpled up and creased with wear that the portion passing between the legs dwindles down to about an inch or less in width. One is tempted to think, as regards both men and women, that, from the point of view of covering, the bands might be dispensed with altogether. This remark applies still more strongly to the case of young boys and unmarried girls, including among the latter big full-grown girls, who are in fact fully developed women, whose bands can hardly be regarded as being more than nominal and who, especially the girls and young women, and even sometimes married women who are nursing their babies, can really only be described as being practically naked, plate 13 figures 1, 2, and 3 illustrates the staining and decoration of perennial bands, figure 1 is a section of a man's band about 6 inches wide, the transverse lines, which extend along the whole length of the band, are in alternate groups of black and red, The background is unevenly stained yellow behind the black lines, but the background behind the red lines and the spaces intervening between the groups of lines are unstained. Figure 2 is the pattern near the end of a woman's band about 5 inches wide. The lines are colored red. There is no pattern on the rest of the band, but the whole of the band, including the background of the pattern, is stained yellow. Figure 3 is a section of a woman's band about 2-1-2 inches wide. The colouring is in alternate bands of red and yellow with irregular and stained spaces between. I was struck with the gradual reduction of the women's dress as I travelled from the coast, with its rural inhabitants, through Mako, and thence by Lapika and Ido to Dilava, and on by Diva Diva to Mafulu. The petticoats of the Rora women gave way to the shorter ones of Mako, and these seemed to get shorter as I went further inland. Then at Lapika they were still shorter, at idoido which is Kuni, the petticoat ceased, and there was only the perineal band, then, again, that dial of band was narrower, and at Diva Diva, and finally at Mafulu, it was often, as I have said, almost nominal, I was told that the age at which a boy usually begins to wear his band is about 10 or 12, or in the case of a chief's son 16 or 17, but that girls assume their bands at a somewhat earlier age, say at 7 or 8. So far as my personal observation went I should have thought that the usual maximum age of nakedness for both boys and girls was rather younger, and I never saw a naked boy of an age anything like sixteen. The assumption of the perennial band is the subject of a ceremony which will be dealt with hereafter. Caps are very often worn by men, but not by women or children. These are simply pieces of plain and stained bark cloth about nine inches wide, which are coiled and twisted on the head. The result is often a shapeless mess, but there are methods of arranging the cloth in definite ways which produce describable results. Sometimes the cloth is merely coiled several times around the head, so as to produce a tall thin turban-shaped band, the crown of the head being left uncovered. Often this plan is extended by turning the end of the cloth over, so as to cover the top of the head, thus producing in some cases a result which resembles a fez, and in other cases one which looks more like a tight skullcap. Again the cap often has its center terminating in an end or tassel hanging over, thus making it look like a cap of liberty, and yet again I have seen the cap look almost like the square paper caps often worn by certain artisans at home. These caps are seen in several of the plates. Abdominal belts are commonly worn by both men and women, but not as a rule by children. There are several distinct forms of these, one a thick strong dark colored belt plate 14. Fig, I made of tree bark, made and worn by men only. The belt is about three or more inches wide and is often so long that it passes twice round the body, the outer end being fastened to the coil beneath it by two strings. This form of belt is sometimes ornamented with simple straight line geometric patterns carved into the belt, but it is never colored. The process of manufacture is as follows, they cut off a strip of bark large enough for one, two, three, or four belts, and coil it up in concentric circles. Like the two circles of the belt when worn, they then place it so coiled into a water, and leave it there to soak for a few days, after which they strip off the outer part, leaving the smooth inner bark, which they dry, and finally cut into the required lengths, to which they add the attachment strings made of native fiber, to a belt made of a material looking like split cane and thin strips from the fiber of what I was told was a creeping plant, made and worn by men only. The latter material is obtained by splitting the fiber into thin strips. These strips and the strips of split cane-like material are rather coarse in texture. The former are of a dull red-brown color natural, not produced by staining and the latter are stone yellow. The two are plated together in geometric patterns. The width of the belt is about 2 inches. It only passes once round the man's body, and the plating is finished with the belt on the body, so that it can only afterwards be removed by unclutching or cutting it off. 3 belt plate 14 figure 2 made of stone yellow and split cane, made and worn by both men and women. This is the simplest form of belt, being merely a strip of cane intertwined not plated so as to form a band about half an inch wide, and left the natural color of the cane. Both men and women, when short of food, use this belt to reduce the pain of hunger by tightening it over the stomach. It is island therefore, much worn during a period of restricted diet prior to a feast, women also use it along with their other ordinary means, to bring about abortion, the belt being for this purpose drawn very tightly round the body, often two, or even three, such belts are worn together, for a belt plate 14, figure 3 made of coarse, sometimes very coarse, stone yellow split cane or cane like material, made and worn by men only, this belt is left the natural color of the material, which is plated so as to form a band from half an inch to two inches broad, the two ends of which are bound together with cane, it also, like number two, is finished on the body, a man will often wear two or three of these belts together, five a belt plate, fifteen, figure I made out of the inner fiber of a creeping plant, made and worn by men only, the fiber threads used for this belt are very fine, so the plating is minute, instead of being coarse like that of number two, but it is generally done rather loosely and openly, The belt is usually about 2 inches wide or a trifle less and is often plated in slightly varying geometric patterns. It is not stained in manufacture, but the natural stone gray color of the fiber soon becomes tinted as the result of wear and the staining of the wearer's body, and in particular it often becomes an ornamental red. This belt also is finished on the man's body. 6 A Belt Plate 15 Figure 2 made of the inner fiber of what I was told was another creeping plant and the stem of a plant which I believe to be one of the dendrobiums, made and worn by men only. The fibers of the former plant are stained black, the reedy stems of the other plant are put in short bamboo stems filled with water, and then boiled. They are then easily split up into flattish straws, and become a color varying from rather bright yellow to brown, for making the belt these two materials, looking rather like black and bright yellow straw are plated together in various geometrical patterns. The width of the belt is two inches, or a trifle more. It is tied at the ends with fiber string. Seven a rather special form of belt plate. Fifteen figure three used mainly for visiting and dancing, made and worn by both men and women. The belt is made out of a hank of loose separate strands between four and five feet long, tied together with string or bark cloth at two opposite points, so as to form a belt of between two feet and two feet six inches in length. For better description I would liken it to a skein of wool, as it looks when held on the hands of one person for the purpose of being wound off into a ball by someone else, but which, instead of being wound off, is tied up at the two points where it passes round the hands of the holder, and is then pulled out into a straight line of double the original number of strands, and so forms a single many-stranded belt of two feet or more in length. It is fastened round the waist with a piece of bark cloth attached to one of the points where the hank has been tied up. The number of strands is considerable. Belts examined by me and counted gave numbers varying from 18 to 35, and the number of strands of the belt round the body would be double that. Each strand is made of three parts plated together, and is one eighth of an inch or less in width. Various materials, including all the materials used for armlets see below, are employed for making these belts. Some for one and some for another. Sometimes a belt has its strands all plated out of one material only. In which case the belt will be all of one color. Sometimes its strands are plated out of two different colored materials. There is no coloring of the belt. Except that of its strands. Belt number one, as worn, is seen in plates nine and eleven. Belt number three is worn by the man at the extreme right in plate sixteen. It is worn by many of the women figured in the plates. And several of them have two belts. One of the women figured in plates 18 and 19 has three of them. Belt number four is worn by one of the men figured in plates 7 and 8. He has three of them. Belt number seven is worn by one or two of the women figured in the front The one to the extreme right having a many-stranded belt, and it is excellently illustrated in plate 17. Capes made of bark cloth are made and worn by men and women. They are only put on after recovery from an illness by which the wearer has been laid up, including childbirth. The cape is simply a plain long narrow piece of indeed bark cloth. The corners of one end are fastened together, and the whole of that end is bunched up into a sort of hood, which is placed over the head, whilst the rest of the cloth hangs down as a narrow strip behind. The cape in no way covers or conceals any part of the body when viewed from the front or side. It is only worn for a few days, but whilst wearing it the wearer discards all, or nearly all, his or her ornaments. I could learn no reason for the custom. Plates 18 and 19 show these capes, and the way in which they are worn. Morning strings plate 30. Figure 1 are made and worn by both men and women. These are plain and decorated necklaces varying much in size and appearance, sometimes they are made of a indeed twisted bark cloth, and vary in thickness from 1 16th of an inch to an inch, sometimes they are only made of string, and are quite thin. There is always an end or tassel to the necklace, made out of the extremities of the neck part, and hanging in front over the chest and if the necklace is of string and not of bark cloth some bark cloth is twisted round the tassel the sign of grief is after a death worn by the widow or widower or other nearest relative male or female of the deceased and at times two people of equal degree of relationship will both wear it it is worn until the formal ending of the mourning the woman to the extreme right in plate 26 is wearing one of these widow's vests these are mourning garments only worn by the widows of chiefs. The garment, which is made by women, is a vest made of string network like a string bag, the mesh of which is the special mafulu mesh, which will be described hereafter, and it is not colored, it is plainly and simply made, with openings at the top for th.